It's day 54 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we begin a new book, the book of Numbers, just one month where we left off at the end of Exodus, one year after the Israelites left Egypt, and now they have all the instructions under their belt on how to live, and they will be able to set out from the base of Mount Sinai toward the Promised Land. Now, this book will account for the next 38 years of them wandering in the wilderness, and while a lot of people look at this reading as dry... I think you're actually going to be quite surprised at how much life application there is, even in these first two chapters. So hang with us as we go throughout this book, show up every single day, don't skip over it, and trust that God will show up. We will be reading from the ESV by Crossway translation today. And before we get started, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button if you are ready to get into the book of Numbers. If you are new here to this Bible study, welcome. Please let us know where you are in the world and make sure to check out the show notes or the description box by hitting that little more button that will expand the description box and you will find lots of information there. Or you can always head to our website, heartdive.org, which has everything that you need right there in one place. So before we get into the word, let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are good. You are awesome. You are so loving and kind and gracious and merciful. And so we just come here today with praise and thanksgiving. We enter into your presence and are so grateful that you are here with us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You already have a plan written for our lives, each one of us individually, and we all have a role to play in your greater purpose. And so I just pray, Lord, that we will be open to being able to hear those instructions that you are going to speak to us today. And I pray that we will be ready to step out in faith. Please give us this day our daily bread, the daily manna that you have provided for us here today. And I pray as we open the logos that you will bring the rhema, the revelation that we need to be able to hear in a reading that so many of us have skipped over in the past. Forgive us of our sins and help us to forgive others. And do not lead us into temptation, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So the author of the book of Numbers, we believe is Moses, written sometime between 1450 and 1410 BC while they were in the wilderness. It is known as the book of murmurings. We will see lots of complaining going on throughout this journey, but it is actually titled in the Torah, the original Hebrew Torah, in the wilderness. So it's not the book of Numbers, but we have renamed it that for our own Bible. And the themes within this book, we will see the preparation of the people, organization, also rebellion and wandering. So this picks up again one month later after the Exodus ends. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Notice that he will speak to him more than 150 times throughout this book in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting. And I thought this was interesting as well that the Lord spoke to him when he was in the tabernacle, in his presence, going to church on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old upward, 
all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. So the census has been called God's harvest because this happening in the second month, the second month would have been the general harvest sometime in April. And the purpose of this will be a military roster so that they are aware of the strength of their army to be able to conquer the people of Canaan who are currently there. And remember, they had just been numbered about a month prior in Exodus chapter 38 for tax purposes. So this is a very different type of census that God is commanding. So we can kind of see the purpose in God wanting to number the people. It's not only for the preparation of war, but it also served as a proof of promise that God gave to Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. It allowed them to know the condition of their army, just as Jesus is always concerned about the condition of his flock. If he didn't number them, how would he ever know that there was one missing sheep that he needed to go after? And this shows us that every single person matters. We are not just a number in the economy of God. And this system would also give them a sense of identity, a connection to a greater purpose. And if they didn't know which clan they came from, they actually wouldn't even be allowed to fight. So as Christians, we are constantly at war and involved in spiritual battles. So numbering still matters because God does not want us to fight alone. He wants us connected to a greater body of believers, one that will fight with us in prayer and one that will hold us accountable and one that will give us a sense of identity with the church so that we will understand that we are a part of a greater purpose. And this is where we will be able to move beyond the idea of just ourselves. So heart check, are you numbered in the greater purpose of God? Or are you trying to do this life as a lone ranger? Verse 4, And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his father. So this man would be kind of like the governor of the tribe. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you. From Reuben, Elizer, the son of Shedir. From Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerishaddai. From Judah, Nashon the son of Aminadab, from Issachar, Nathanael, the son of Zwar, from Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Emihud, and from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Padazer, from Benjamin, Abidin, the son of Gideoni, from Dan, Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pegiel, the son of Okran, from Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enan. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. So they were chosen, they were lifted up, they were selected and placed into position. Now, what's interesting is that many of these heads or chiefs had names that were related to Elohim or El, God. So looking at the meanings of their names here, you can see that I have them listed. One that is interesting to point out is Elishama, who is the grandfather of Joshua. And the purpose of having these leaders helping out with the counting was so that the counting would be fair, they would be well represented, and it would be accurate. By the way, here we see another Bible project poster. I have that printed out. I did list the link in the description box below if you do want to print one out for yourself. And while we're on that subject, I also linked these two photos here that I printed out in my Bible. You can go to the website and print them out yourselves, as well as this Jewish festivals that I forgot to put into my Bible the other day. I've always loved this graphic here, so I figured I'd point that out to you guys. Verse 17, Moses and Aaron took these men 
who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together, who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head. So there we see that they registered themselves by clans. So again, if they didn't know which clan they belonged to, then they wouldn't be able to register, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he listed them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now we will see in the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers that the people are so compliant. Moses is compliant before the rebellion begins. And now when we look at the listing of each one of these tribes, stay awake, try to hang in there. The pattern of this will be the name of the tribe, followed by the particulars, and as well as the number in the clan. Verse 20, the people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. Of the people of Simeon, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, those of them who were listed according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Of the people of Gad, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of the names, from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. Of the people of Judah, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. So, so far, Judah has the largest clan. Of the people of Issachar, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. Of the people of Zebulun, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400. Of the people of Joseph, namely of the people of Ephraim, so this was his son, their generations by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500. Of the people of Manasseh, their generations by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, and every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Manasseh, which was Joseph's other son, were 32,200. So Joseph, in a sense, had a double portion through his two sons. Of the people of Benjamin, their generations, by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. Of the people of Dan, their generations, by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. Of the people of Asher, their generations, by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. Now, of the people of Naphtali, their generations, by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, 
Those listed of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. These are those who are listed, whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, 12 men, each representing his father's house. Now, if you are confused at the fact that there are 12 tribes, 12 men, but yet Joseph is represented by two of his sons, then how does that equal to 12? Shouldn't there be 13? Well, we're going to find out in just a second that the Levites, the tribe of Levi, is actually not counted in this because they were solely set apart, dedicated to God. So, all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and upward, every man to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. Now, what's interesting is that 38 years later, we're going to see another census being taken, and the number is not going to differ very much. There will be 601,730. However, we are going to see a pretty drastic change in the numbers within each individual tribe or at least for some of them. So with this population of this 600 plus thousand of able-bodied men, these fighting men, this would bring the population in totality to anywhere between two and five million people. Most scholars believe it's somewhere between two and three million. So this would be with the inclusion of women and children. So this goes to show that God's promise never fails. I mean, they went from 70 people coming into Egypt to now in the millions. That's pretty amazing, in my opinion. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses saying, only the tribe of Levi you shall not list and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. Because remember, the tabernacle is temporary and portable, and it is their place of worship as they wander throughout the wilderness. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. Now, if you think about the fact that the tabernacle was where the Shabbat or the glory of God would dwell, the Levites are the ones who were the closest to it. And there is a direct correlation with serving and satisfaction in life. We come out of the womb craving satisfaction. And throughout our lives, we are led to believe that if we can just get something to eat, we'll be satisfied until we're hungry again. Or we think we'll be happy if we can just get a better job or if we could just be married to a different person. But the truth is, nothing in this life will bring true satisfaction because we aren't craving the things of this world. We're craving the things of heaven, whether we know it or not. And until we get there, we're still going to be hungry and thirsty for more. So one of the best ways to learn that contentment and to gain some sense of satisfaction is to be like Jesus and serve. It is in the serving of others where we find supernatural fulfillment because you fall in line with God's design. So heart check, how satisfied are you in life? What are you craving? And are you serving others? And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. So this outsider does not mean foreigner. This means a non-Levite. They shall not come into the presence of God. Only the Levites were allowed to. And the people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So here we see them setting that tone of obedience that will last throughout 
chapter 10. So here we see where the Levites would be camped out around the tabernacle. Remember, the Levites are divided into three different clans, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. And we'll read more about that later on. And then Moses and the priests would camp here on the east side of the tabernacle with all of the other clans surrounding it. And we'll read about that in the next chapter. But the book of Numbers, I tell you, it is another doozy to some people. And it is a lot of repetition, a lot of names, a lot of numbers, as we just saw. And most of us have either dozed our way through it or we skipped over it altogether. I mean, some of y'all are probably guilty of fast forwarding through that last section. And it's okay, no shade. And the reason why is because we are by nature selfish beings. If our name is not on the roll call, we want no part of it. It's kind of like sitting through a graduation ceremony and it is like a total snooze fest until your name is called. So put yourself in the shoes of these families for a moment. I mean, they're the ones who went before us to pave the way so that we could have a greater understanding of God. Without them going through this, we may never have any context of the life of Jesus and why it was so imperative for Him to come. So when their names were called, imagine their excitement to say, here we are, that's us out of millions of people. That's our family. We are ready to go. So heart check, are you only interested when your name is being called or are you able to see beyond yourself and the importance of other people's lives? And again, in the end, we see that God is a God of organization and structure. He is not a God of disorder and chaos. And He desires this not just for His armies, but for our personal lives as well. Because each one of us plays an integral role in the church. Everything in our lives serves a purpose of some sort. So we should also be aware of the condition of our own personal flock so that we're battle-ready. So what are your goals? Who are your people? Where is your time and your energy being devoted? Does it line up with God's instructions? So heart check, have you taken a census of your life lately? What would you count as valuable? And how does it line up with God's plan? Chapter two. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, the people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banner of their father's houses. All right, now we're seeing here that identity isn't only confined to the family name, the tribe name, but also the place in which you stand. Each one of the families were to camp under the banner of their respective tribe. And some look at these different banners and relate them to the different denominations today in the church. But regardless of what denomination you're a part of, we all camp under the same banner of our Father's house, Jehovah Nisi. God is our banner, our victory from which we fight. But so many of us are fighting for victory rather than from it. And this is what leaves us feeling so defeated. I have never understood this until doing this Bible study. Because again, it makes no sense that I am physically and mentally able to do this every day. And I know some people think that it's easy, but I'm going to tell you, this is crazy work. And I'm not saying this to give myself a pat on the back or to receive any sort of comments from you guys. I am saying this because I know that there is no other way that this is happening than by the power of God. Even my husband is floored at the commitment that I've made because this isn't me. And as Paul said, I will boast all day about the things that show my weakness if it means that it shows his power. So heart check, what banner are you camped under? Are you fighting from your own strength or under the banner of the one who fights for you? 
So they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies, the chief of the people of Judah being nation, the son of Aminadab, his company as listed being 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar, being Nathanael, the son of Zuar, his company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun, being Eliab, the son of Helon, his company as listed being 57,400. All those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall set out first on the march." Now, there is so much significance in the placement of the tribe of Judah. Remember, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, and Judah means praise. So how fitting is it that the entire camp would be led by a lion and by praise? And they were encamped on the east side, giving them a pride of place because the sunrise represented promise, power, hope, and sustenance. And this is exactly how we should be leading our lives with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts, following after the line of Judah, rather than lagging behind in the back, complaining about what is wrong in our lives. And we should always be facing toward hope rather than looking back at regret. So heart check, what direction are you camped in? Do you face hope? Are you setting out each day with praise and thanksgiving? Verse 10, on the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies, the chief of the people of Reuben being Elizer, the son of Shedir, his company as listed being 46,500. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon being Shalumiel, the son of Zerishaddai, his company as listed being 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad being Eliasaph, the son of Ruel, his company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450, and they shall set out second. So Reuben being the firstborn will follow Judah, the fourthborn, which we know from past readings that Judah actually stepped up into that leadership role. So this is why he is leading the way, of course, Jesus coming from the tribe of Judah. So that holding a lot of significance as well. Verse 17, then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. As they camp, so shall they set out each in position, standard by standard. So the tabernacle sets out third so that it can stay in the center of the camp. Everything we do in our lives should be centered around God and in an orderly fashion. It isn't a requirement, but it is the reflection of our life in Him when we have order in our lives. But it should never be measured against anybody else. Our only measure is the standard by which God sets. So heart check. Is God at the center of your life? Is your life one of order or disorder? If I'm being honest, these heart checks are not feeling real good to me today. <laughs> on the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishamah, the son of Amihud. His company is listed being 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh being Gamaliel, the son of Padazer. His company is listed being 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin being Abidan, the son of Gideoni. His company is listed Listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. 
Now on the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Ahiezer, the son of Amishaddai, his company as listed being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pagiel, the son of Okran, his company as listed being 41,500. Then the tribe of Naphtali, the chief of the people of Naphtali being Ahira, the son of Enan, his company as listed being 53,400. All those listed of the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last, standard by standard. Now these are the people of Israel as listed by their father's houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards. And so they set out each one in his clan according to his father's house. And I don't know if you can't help but see the cross shape, the foreshadowing of the cross here in the way that it was arranged around the tabernacle. And if you need a little bit more of a realistic picture, I printed this one out. Here we see the tabernacle, the tent, the courtyard, and some tents that are set up around it. There are plenty of pictures on the internet if you just want to Google. I think I put in something like numbers, encampment, Bible, and a bunch of pictures came up. But this was the one that I liked the best, and that's why I put that one in there. So let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. Where have we seen a breakdown in godly structure or organization in society? What are the consequences of that? How might we prepare for war as Christians? Can you see the significance in the way God arranged the camp? What is the significance of the leaders of the tribes? And how do these chapters reflect God's attention to detail? How does that translate to your life? So Heavenly Father, you are indeed a God of order, never doing anything at random, but always by design and with organization. Forgive us, Lord, where we have allowed chaos to ensue in our own lives. I pray that you will help us to get our lives together so that we do not have anything holding us back from your best in our lives. Thank you for setting the stage for the importance of obedience once again. We see how much you value each and every person and how we all have a role to play in the tribe of our church. We have all been gifted with a specific character and placed in positions where we best fit. Some may not be able to see what that looks like, or others may have resisted in entering that very place. So I pray that we will be more malleable to your will and your guidance to our placement. Show us where we can be an asset in our communities and in our surroundings, and where we will be united with one purpose under your banner. While we may not be males over the age of 20 being numbered for war, we are all fighting a spiritual battle on the daily. So I pray that we will take a census today of our lives, looking where our best resources are, what we are doing to train up for the fight, and who are the ones who will fight beside us. Lord, equip and ready us for the battle so that we do not fight from fear, but from victory. I pray that we will follow you, Jesus, our Lion of Judah, setting out with a heart of praise and thanksgiving each and every day. And whenever we come home to our own camps, I pray that we will set our focus on you, facing our hope so that we do not drag our families down. Help us to be those who lift them up, showing them the promise and blessing that comes with each waking moment. Thank you, Lord, for the foundation you have laid before us, allowing us to walk on solid ground. Thank you for helping us to see this significance in this reading today. And I pray that you will continue to open our eyes to see the goodness of our God. 
I pray that we will be teachers of that goodness so that we can be contributors to your greater purpose. Thank you for pouring into our hearts today. We are so grateful for it, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.